Welcome to Working Title, a podcast where two writer friends stumble through books we love looking for writing secrets. I'm Leah, and this week I have been feeling really torn about my novel. I feel like mm. I, I keep having more revelations as I'm working on it, which is the natural process of developing a novel. But at some point that needs to stop, right? Because I need to finish it. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm feeling a kind of like tug and pull between the two. Um, you know, there's always the question of like, should I start another story and write that simultaneously while I'm figuring out the details here? Uh, should I put this one down for a little bit because maybe I'm not quite ready? What is ready even mean? Mm-hmm. Um, all of those endless questions and decisions that you have to make. And of course, I turn to what other authors have done. And it's just the gambit, you know? There's no yeah. right answer, of course. The, the classic <laughs> bugbear, there's no right answer. So I've been like a little bit stressed about that, feeling the tension between like finishing it as fast as I can and kind of giving it space to breathe and become more complex and rich in a way. Yeah, I totally feel that. And that actually, I'm Dana. <laughs> and this week I'm dealing with something very similar with writing in terms of, um, I've had sort of a long running novel project that I've been trying to work on, uh, but I've been balancing it with um, other shorter term writing projects more in like the tabletop and Dungeons and Dragons space, which is great, but I'm actually now fully caught up on all of the D&D work, all the short projects are caught up. And I'm struggling to either feel like, oh, I really want to jump into the novel full bore or if I want to like find a different short project to like take some of that energy. Um, And yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes to figure out. It's still a nice feeling. I would always vastly prefer feeling like I have a lot of creative energy and I don't know where to put it than the feelings of like, damn, I, I, I'm scraping a barrel here. I don't know how much there is left. Um, But it is funny trying to figure out, like, is there a right? Well, and again, I think like consciously we can say there's clearly no right answer, but uh, but it always feels like there is. And if (laughs) if only I was wise enough, I would know. I would know the answer. Right. Um, Yeah. I want the magic solution. Yeah. Yeah. I want the magic solution that doesn't that eliminates all that self-doubt and anxiety and feeling unsure of where to go next or if I'm making the right choice. I want to know that I'm making the right choice as I'm making it. Boy, yep, yep, that's the thing. That's the whole thing right there. I'm a believer that there is no right choice. There's only a choice and everything else evolves from there. And I'm not like a some everything happens for a reason person, but it's more just like there's many paths and you can't presuppose that one of them is going to be wrong. Yeah, you're 100% right. Like, I absolutely agree. <laughs> I know, intellectually <laughs> is different, you know. Yeah, totally. in my head. Head, I know that I can't predict the future, but it also in my head and in my heart, I feel like that I must, I must be able to in order to be successful in art, um, mm. and not just like successful in in the way of like society giving me recognition or whatever you define success, external validation as, but also that internal validation. I feel like I somehow need to predict the future, um, and that's not to say that that keeps me from having noise that interferes with making my work you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) no oh god um and this this wonderful person that you've just heard uh share a little bit of wisdom uh this is eve white visual artist extraordinaire um eve would you like to introduce yourself sure um 
Well, I'm a visual artist extraordinaire. <laughs> um, I uh, am sort of studied as a graphic designer, but I studied as a graphic designer, not sort of. Um, but when I was in graphic design school, I pivoted to doing um, photography, specifically photography of objects that I mm. either either were manufactured or I had manufactured. Um, and then I experienced some traction with that and had some shows and was in some flat files and um the work I make today is um is like an outgrowth of what I was doing in school but is much less resolved because I don't have a community around me to Mm -hmm. sort of say keep going or Mm. a little bit of this not that um you know uh I show it to certain friends with whom I'm comfortable but it really is a hard landing, I think, going from, I wouldn't even say school, but going from having a tight community at all times, durationally, who's focused towards a goal, um, whether it's a thesis exhibition or something like that, to sort of being on your own. So that's where I'm at in regards to the conversation is, you know, tomorrow I'm having a studio day, which means I'll go up there for as long as I can and I'll noodle around, but um then I want to take what I did somewhere and have it critiqued and it's not always available to me. Um, Mm -hmm. Or even in the moment to have someone say, oh, like, I see you're working on this project that you have taped up on the wall. Let's go in that direction and not this direction. Mm. Um, When I was in school before I made um, the body of work that I was speaking about earlier with the objects, I was toiling over typography and some things that really didn't suit me. And we were working on three projects simultaneously and everyone was like, this project over here is gorgeous and you're not, you're not paying it any mind because you're convinced that you have to walk this certain path as a graphic designer. And that ended up being the springboard for all my work. So Hmm. that's, I think one of the things I find hard is not having um, really anything to intercede. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that 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 totally makes sense for, for it's, it's remarkable how much, for how internal and personal the creative process is, there's also so much value in collaboration. And again, not, not even just like active collaboration in the work, but at least just collaboration in terms of talking about the work, showing it, getting other people's uh, reactions and thoughts, uh, just to sort of sort out, I think, what is in your own head and which which parts of your personal expression and your creative ideas are are ready to come out are making sense or coming out in an interesting way for others i yeah i totally totally hear that yeah and i think that actually ties really nicely into the kind of theme of our discussion today um i think a lot of us have as artists feel this kind of torn feeling that I was describing earlier in many different ways. It's not just internal to our um, current work in progress. It's also thinking about art as a business, um, needing to create content to connect with community, how we're making those connections, the impact that those connections with community or with something like social media, some sort of business platform is having on our art and artistic process. I feel like it takes a lot of brain space, especially in an era where I feel there is increasing pressure for artists and creatives to be marketing experts simultaneously to being artists. 
Um, and the marketing landscape is going at warp speed. I mean, oh, yeah. I have a friend who's a collector and she would buy art off Instagram and now she wouldn't do that because it's so homogenized, but also mm. it's not, um, she might not even see it because the yeah. landscape is just so completely different. Like that's not, it's sort of like gone full circle and like gone back to being like, almost exploded and people have to find you in an analog way now because it's impossible to find you on the internet or you Mm -hmm. have to package something in a very um bite-sized chunk you're competing with like i saw an app the other day that was you do a workout every day and they donate 25 dollars to a charity and it was cool but it was so like codified and like specific and Mm. like I just cannot imagine having to come up with that for my own stuff to compete in the the, the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there's it's I I've seen a kind of an emerging tension there in between like pressure to niche down, like this idea that if you can identify your niche, you can find some gap in the market and get success. But I think there's like a growing counter narrative in creative spaces that is basically like don't niche down in part because either because it makes you less accessible or it in some ways betrays you as an artist. Um, Mm. And because it's it's interesting, this effect that you're I feel like you've only been speaking for three minutes and I've been taking notes and I already have like four (laughs) things I want to follow up on. (laughs) Um, But um like what you're talking about, about like art being homogenized and how that can be a maybe unintended impact of social media and looking for success on social media, thinking about building your audience as an artist. Yeah, I think there's, that's an interesting concept and and not one I've, I've frankly heard or, or seen too much of certainly in like the visual art space, but not, not as I'm not as connected to those spaces. Absolutely. I do think that there is, I like this concept too, of so much of the way that, you know, the internet works and marketing on the internet, which is mostly what we're, what we're talking about in this case, uh, moving at warp speed in terms of, I, I went to school and studied communications like not marketing specifically, but that certainly was part of the things that we studied. I did study social media. Most of the things that I learned then are wildly out of date. They're not inaccurate, but they're certainly not uh, up to date in terms of what makes the most sense. Um, I was actually talking to a a collaborator of mine in in some of these D&D spaces because we've had a number of projects coming out recently and we were like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to publish these. We're going to put them up on, on the self-published website that they go. And, uh, and we'd love for people to find them. And I'm posting about them on Twitter. And we were talking and he was like, yeah, Twitter's actually bad for that. I was like, what? Interesting. (laughs) He was like, yeah, because most of the time, the way that people increasingly interact with Twitter it's a brief interaction. People who see a tweet are not very likely to click on it and then go to the thing and then buy it. They're more likely like it's, it's in terms of the D and D space, it's a very productive space for connecting with other creatives and for building an audience of people who care about your work and your thoughts, but it's not very good for actually like converting to sales for saying, Hey, I actually made something creative. Do you want to see the thing I made? Uh, 
it's it's bad for that and it's part of why like uh you know he's invested in an email list and I'm like we're back to email list <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> thought, it just kind of like but I yeah. I I think yeah anyway sorry I want you to keep talking because my point is kind of divergent oh yeah no but I think that there's the the point there being that yeah there's so much of it that uh it moves really fast it cycles through, I mean, absolutely, there is that same kind of like in fashion, right? You know, bell bottoms are coming back, baby. And it's true for all the technology too. Uh, and still, and then I always come back to in the end, there's also just the simple fact of, you know, maybe you're really good at this. Maybe you are a really great marketer or whatever. And, and this is interesting to you. Awesome. It's still a tremendous amount of additional work mm. on top of your creative work to figure out uh, how do I market? What platforms should I be on? Who should I be speaking to? What type of content do I make? What's the uh, algorithm saying today? What about SEO? What's the algorithm Gosh. saying? Yeah, because there's so much of the stuff. It's not just about like, oh, can you be delightful on the internet? It's part of the thing with Instagram, as I understand it, is that Facebook keeps dramatically changing the algorithms for Facebook as well as for Instagram in a way that makes it even harder to find art or to share your art in a way that people will see it. And, and it's still, even if you are keeping up with that, even if this is something that's interesting and compelling to you and you find fulfilling, it's so much additional work. And that's time you're not spending on whatever the creative pursuit is that you're trying to build an audience for and connect with people about. Yeah. I, I think, think it's, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's, what you were mentioning about Twitter being a good space to connect with other creatives, I think rings so true about a lot of platforms, frankly. Mm. If you're interested in talking about the art that you're creating online, what I found is more often than not, you're attracting other artists. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not – so the, I remember a few years back on YouTube, uh, the new kind of – thing was author tube right hmm. so we were going to kind of like advertise ourselves as writers so that that would be how we might build an audience in a platform but increasingly again all of the people who are following the people who are talking about writing are aspiring writers or aspiring authors or something like that and so that doesn't necessarily translate to sales like you were talking about hmm. but then on the flip side if you're like okay i understand that actually talking about my art is not a good way to sell my art. I need to find a way to be entertaining separate from that and unrelated to that and then try to sneak in selling my art kind of sideways <laughs> after I mm -hmm. have the audience. The risk there is as well, let's say that your art doesn't align with your persona that you've created, like people's vision of that, then yes, you might sell a lot of that first product or whatever, but then people are responding and saying, oh, this art that you created isn't what I expected based on the content that I have been consuming from you. So you have like a risk right. on this other side. And I find it interesting how often I think about this considering I'm like not in a place where I'm really thinking about releasing my art immediately. Um, but it weighs on your mind because if you want to become uh, someone who's like a full-time or even a part-time creative – you have to have a strategy for that. And so it becomes so stressful. I'm also thinking lots of thoughts. So I'm going to try to make them not. We got time. We can go I know, through them but all. bring me back in <laughs> no, if I'm you. not making sense. Because I think 
they're all kind of firing at the same the same time just a couple of things i was thinking earlier like the relationship to speed and kind of like this it's eating its own tail is mm. a couple things these are all disparate but i'm just going to say them the first one is i had a professor that would always say like it needs another turn of the wheel and mm-hmm. being in this system convinces you that it doesn't and that it needs to be shown because showing is showing your productivity, which is showing your value. Mm. And so I don't think it fosters that richness of thought. Mm. I also think that if you don't want to be – and there are people who are successful at this, like you mentioned, who actually have for some – they've been able to make it a side gig and they've been selling the art since before the algorithm changed and they've kept up and – Um, but if you aren't ready to sell your art, then you have to sell your process and you have to be comfortable displaying your process. And Leah and I were talking about this, which is how I ended up in this discussion was just to say the people that I find who are showing their process are fairly well established Mm -hmm. and they're showing pretty controlled glimpses of their process. And that's another thing that I personally am not willing to do because for me, the process is like the fun, sacred part of it. And Mm -hmm. it's not something that I'm ready to like publicly articulate. I'm putting my expression into the work and I don't even, I don't want the process to be up there for critique. Mm -hmm. And then the other Mm -hmm. thing that you mentioned that just, I think made me think about the speed was that in the olden days, things were just less known I remember in college, my friend, I'm older than you guys by like 10 years. My friend made a chart. She showed me this chart that was, I want to say, done in a project in Germany or the Netherlands. I'm not sure. And it showed that out there in the world, there was at least one other person who looked and dressed exactly like you stylistically. Like they did a map of people and you could look at the chart and you could find someone who looked like you and like anybody could. And we looked at it. But now that chart is in our phones and it's every day all the time. So I can look at something and say, oh, this is like from the abstract shape movement. Like I've seen 20 of those today. Or this (laughs) is from people who do things on a brightly colored background. I've seen 13 of those in the last five minutes. Mm. It just flattens it because it's moving so quickly. And the imitations of things move so quickly. So I think it's a really... I took a step. I haven't really been making that much. And so now when I post, I'll post a beautiful photograph with like an expression that may or may not have to do with the photograph. But that's how I actually am. That's how I like move through the world is I am connected to visuals and I'll like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't always say something caption worthy, but I find like that's the most I can offer at this time. And I used to try to post old art or like goings on, but I don't really have anything that is ready to be publicly expressed. Mm. Um, But if I were having to rely on that for my income, it would be a different story. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like that's something I've definitely heard from a lot of artists that, that I follow or that I know in real life. Uh, I have a friend who uh, does uh, like, oil paintings and portraits of people and they have talked about how uh you know there's all this pressure to like uh you know stream yourself painting yeah yeah and there's a part of that that like I know they enjoy it sometimes and and there's can be something satisfying about like 
boy, that's so easy. You can create content while doing the thing you're already doing. But it also, I, I, I liked what you said, Eve, about like, that's also a sacred space in some ways. And sometimes having, you know, a stream about it and pressure to interact with viewers, whether or not you choose to do so, there's always this kind of like pressure of conversation and this pressure to to continue creating, right? I've also watched artists that like I follow on Twitter uh, who when they repost art that they've posted before, like feel like they have to do so with an apology, right? We're hmm. like, sorry, it's the same piece as last week, but I don't know, the algorithm and, and, and in reality, like if you're trying to build engagement, you absolutely should keep reposting art because yeah. you should be posting more frequently than you probably have new, well-developed like pieces to share. Yeah. But it is, it is such an interesting thing, and it's something that I feel, I feel a lot of connection to and also a disconnection from in terms of when it comes to writing, there's also less of this pressure to just like, oh, everybody, here is, here is my process. Here is the, you know, you wouldn't post your first draft of a whole short story on Twitter. That actually is something that some authors have done. They tend to be more established. Yeah. But I think I do get the sense that there is, a, there is more pressure to not, not necessarily share your process but provide more frequent updates to progress through things more I do think that if you're a more established author there is more pressure to share your process because Mm -hmm. a lot of your fans are also going to be writers there's that kind of intersect yeah um I think there's also there is still there's its own version of it that you'll see with writing Although most of it, again, I wonder how much of it is just a little echo chamber of people who are writers, right? When there'll be one of those posts. The thing that's always interesting, mostly my social media is Twitter, um, which, uh, boy, what a time (laughs) to have that be your your social media platform. I have a lot of feelings about that that we're not here to talk about specifically. (laughs) Um, But uh, there's so many different things where then it's clear that somebody uh, somebody is working on their novel and they did some research about how to be a writer and they go to Twitter because they're like, I have to create a platform. And so everywhere they go on and it's like, okay, hashtag writing community. Do you all like when the villains are complicated? And and everyone <laughs> has to, you know, have their feedback. And it it often feels very very surface level or very much that like follow me I'll follow you back that is this like not not even like rich interaction with folks and I'm not sure how well it works because occasionally when I have tried to participate in those just experimentally be like okay like community let's go find community here and it's like I don't think this is working it feels like we're all sitting here being like you know, uh, we're all at some sort of street fair with our own separate stage being like, come on, leave your stage, come check out my stuff. And uh, that's a that's a weird and complicated thing to do. Or then it'll be like, okay, like everybody share, you know, one line from your work in progress. Uh, but again, it, it feels like it's this like very, like the only people that seem to be paying attention to that are other writers. And again, that's not nothing. We've talked a lot on this podcast about how a community of creatives is a deeply valuable thing. Like that's a really, really valuable thing. And and sometimes you can find that on social media platforms and it's a tremendous, tremendous thing. 
but it is different from the thing that we're all told to do, which is to build an audience. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff just feels like there's so many things you can do and they require so much effort and are, are so sporadic. And so often it's like, well, the reality is, is yeah, the people that are established are going to get more of that attention. You need to be established. It, it, it so often is still a matter of trying to use social media to get the traditional microphones to give you a shot. And that's, it's so hard. It's so hard. And it's so often it's, yeah, it's just a bunch of people who are sitting there and, and it forces you to be thinking about the marketability when that maybe is not what you're, what you should be or want to be thinking about. I have spent a lot of time feeling like my writing projects are not good enough because I don't know how to pitch them in like a Twitter pitch thing where it's like, okay, fit it into 240 characters. And I'm not saying just like summarizing it, but like, quick, what are the top three big tropes? And I'm like, well, there's definitely tropes. I'm not sure that they're the main point of this project, actually. Should they be? Should, should I be read? Maybe I need to have more projects that are this awesome popular book meets this other awesome popular book, three big tropes and a hot villain and a, and a, and like run through the things. Yeah. Get your comps, get your comps, get your comps, get your tropes. And I love comps and I love tropes. I don't think those things are bad, but I think it's an, I think it's interesting how so often social media runs exclusively on those things. Yep. And I don't think that that's exclusively what people want, right? Like I think about, there are writers that I, or other artists that I support on Patreon. And Patreon's interesting because so often, you know, at different tiers, those artists are committing to a certain amount of content, whether that's process content or actual work, you know, they're going to write a short story every X amount of months or whatever. And the number of uh, so apologetic emails that I get when it's like an author's like, I'm so sorry. Like I've fallen behind on my thing. I don't want to, I'm, I'm really sorry. I haven't been able to get you the cat pictures I promised or the short story I promised or whatever it is. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care actually. Like I'm here cause I want to support you and I want to be able to occasionally like go look at your stuff. I don't care if we're not hitting the schedule but that's a vital, like hitting the schedule is vital for making sure you don't fall out of line with all the algorithms. I'm going to speak in like an analogies that aren't mine. But so when I was in school, um, a lot of my peers would talk about like yearning for the MySpace days, the MySpace graphics <laughs> and like <laughs> that community and visually and otherwise, like how fucking weird it was. And I mean, nostalgia always paints everything with a more magical brush than perhaps it was at the time. But like, you know, or you, you'll hear cities say, like, keep Boston weird, or, you know, mm-hmm. is there still a weird corner of the internet, or is it all Taylor Swift? You know, I'm not saying that, like, she's bad, but, like, is it all polished now, and we can't, do you guys have a corner of the internet that you feel like you can still? I think Tumblr's still that way. I don't know. I've never been on Tumblr, but they... But, Heads up for when we're recording it. This is just after Goncharov. So, uh, I, you know, there's clearly still weird out there, but... I mean, Tumblr, Tumblr definitely had a cool girl era. I think it depends on why you're engaging with the platform. I feel like because Absolutely. Tumblr has, has 
had its fall from grace and then it's like, we've accepted this fall and we like it here. No one come back. I think people <laughs> feel a little bit more freedom to to kind of be open and experimental because it feels like no one's watching. Do you know Neil – someone asked Neil mm-hmm. Gaiman why he's still on Tumblr and he was like, because it feels like no one's watching me here. Like I can yeah. just I can just be a dude with a blog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that – I think that that is so the point – I was just having a conversation about uh, what, I mean, because what you're essentially talking about there is the colonization of the internet, right? Once upon a time, before I was on the internet, (laughs) I hear stories of the days when the internet was mostly people who were like, this is fun. I bet other people might like this. And that was it. And no one was trying to make any money off it particularly yet. And a lot of things have changed. Yeah. Um, and a, but a lot of things have changed in terms of, you know, all these all these platforms are now also overrun by brands, right? And by official brands. But also it's funny because it's like, oh, yeah, let's go find the weird corner of the internet. What you were saying about, like, why are you using it? I want to use the internet just to talk to people, but I'm told I have to use it to market. Yep. I have to use it to sell stuff. Yeah. So any space, even if there are spaces that still exist... It's a weird thing because there's still a constant pressure, even as an individual artist or creative, to walk into that space and change it by saying, hi, I know we're all having a good time here. Um, Here's my marketing pitch. Here's why you should, uh, instead of being a community, you should be an audience, which is, I mean, it's one of those weird dynamics about like social media in general is that the development of social media really in many ways created an opportunity to shift from a broadcast model of like, yeah, there's the people who make the content and then there's the audience. And now they're, oh, social media, now there can be a community. And so much of then this change has been like, cool, how can we use this community to make an audience? Yeah, well, I think that's, all of these things are, I think, interlinked to how the economic model of art operates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only speak from the side of publishing, but part of the reason why writers feel so much pressure to build that audience is because, well, you can use it to get the attention of whatever gatekeepers, but also those gatekeepers are very selective about who they'll market. So if you have a story that doesn't, maybe just makes it past the gate, but for whatever reason, the uh, publishing powers that be are like, we don't think this will sell. And they're they're saying that is influenced by their own upbringing and background. You, you're in for a rough a rough go of it. So you you're kind of almost like, okay, I'm not gonna get the big push and support that this book deserves and needs. I need to find other ways around it. And when you're looking at your story and you're saying, this isn't like a lot of the stories that I'm seeing being pushed, I feel for a lot of folks that pressure intensifies because you're like, I can see that the people who are granting, you know, the ability to share art essentially through their extremely large and powerful marketing mechanisms aren't going to give that to me. So like, I'm just... Okay, Piper. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> My dog likes to drink. She's she's mad that she's being annoyed and ignored, so she's drinking water as, as much as she can, as loudly as she I can. I can hear it just a little bit, and <laughs> I, I feel that. 
Um, just as we have left those poor animals to fend for themselves, I think a lot of artists, I, I say that sarcastically about the animals. Wonderful but- <laughs> transition. <though. laughs> Thank you. I do think a lot of artists feel like they have to fend for themselves. And Absolutely. yes, you want to build community, but also you're you're constantly in the back of your mind thinking like, I love community, but community isn't going to feed me necessarily because we're all trying to feed ourselves. We're all struggling. You know, we'll give each other what we can. We'll step off our Mm -hmm. little platforms, as you said, when we can. But we have to think about our our own grind. Um, Mm -hmm. And I loved what you were saying earlier, Eve, about it needs another turn of the wheel. I think there's just so much pressure to just get it out, get it out, get it out. And while there's something to be said about learning through repeated practice, you know, there's that anecdote about the professor who has one group work on only one perfect pot and another group make as many pots as they can and who made the better pot. And of course, Mm -hmm. the more you practice, the more you engage in it, the better you'll get. That's true. But those, if we're continuing the analogy, those students who had to make 100 pots didn't then have to all share those pots for public consumption. Yeah. (laughs) and i'm sure the pots were not as perfect i was also gonna Mm -hmm. say like it's it's a additive not completely magical but it is an additive process for me some of the stuff that was featured in my work or is featured in my work is pictures that i took 10 years before they ended up in the work oh yeah and so i don't always know what's going to happen and that's part of what makes it fun I try after that time not to be conscious when I'm taking photos of something similar to think, oh, these are going to end up in a collage. It's going to end up in a this. It's going to end up in a that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And anyway, that's what I was going to say is like, I think it robs us of the, I was going to bring up the topic of comparison, which is, you know, I don't find like a nurturing um, whatever in, in social media. I just find that it's like comparison is the thief of joy mm-hmm. and you're finding right. out who won this prize and who won that prize and this and that. And wondering, you know, why am I not there? And I think in, like, pre-social media times, it was there, too, but it was less in your face. It's like maybe you ran into your smug colleague who always won the prize (laughs) in the hallway, or maybe you didn't and you just went about your life. But now, at midnight, you can open up and see that they won this prize, and right next to it, you can see some art that kind of looks like yours, but doesn't completely. Like, it's just complete sensory overload of shit that you don't need to see that we then have to make the choice to filter out and to leah's point most of us can't hire someone to engage for us Mm. so you're kind of a little bit trapped into the engagement loop where i have a separate instagram account where i'm just myself like completely Mm. and i follow comedy and makeup because that's what i like and i don't follow any of the other stuff that might not trigger me but like make me feel anything because I do have a responsibility to the people who have supported my art to talk about if they're having a pop-up show or something. And I do want to occasionally share my work, but I can't live in that space. And yeah. so many of us are forced to have, like, mm-hmm. we're all forced to be in that space. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting. I feel like you're sort of, you're drawing a really interesting and useful distinction there between there's separate difficulties in terms of needing to be present on social media and thus consume what else is on social media and then the pressure to be present on social media and to share and to post which i find really interesting and i think is probably something that is 
in some ways different based on our mediums, right? Like, again, it's not often that scrolling through Twitter, I see snippets of people's actual works in progress, but I do see people posting their word counts and, uh, and you know, yeah, if they're, if they're uh, you know, awards or things like that, absolutely. Much more of the pressure that I find is, is the thing that gets stressful for me is the posting, is the sharing and this knowledge that, um, I've always, I've always really enjoyed social media, but I've never been a prolific poster. I've never been good at saying, I bet other people want to know this weird thought I had. Sometimes, sometimes, but very rarely does that come to me. Um, very rarely have I been like, yeah, I should just share my creative process there. Uh, instead, I just come and be like, Leah, we should do an episode on this, <laughs> which, is, which is more fun for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm much more likely to talk to my community about that than I am to just post it into the void on, online, yeah. which, which, of course, like if you want to build traction, the algorithm rewards like posting a certain number of times yep. and then you feel pressure to come up with thoughts and then you feel weird if... It, it makes it feel more lonely when you post something because you felt pressured to post something and then no one responds. And then no one engages yeah. and you're like, what I am I doing? Is that, This all feels weird yes. and hollow. I don't know how to articulate this, but I believe that this is actually generative and I believe that, well, it may maybe generate sales, although I'm unconvinced now, like that that is, well, it's, if you want to express yourself, express yourself. But this is way more generative than posting on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I wish – what was I going to say? I lost I lost the thread. It was there. It was there and then I lost it. Um, um, she makes a theatrical gesture of losing the thread. I've been going into a canyon. Um, well, I don't remember what I was going to say. But just to say also that the reason we're all trapped into posting too is that it's become one big audience. Like normally you would not have your mid-level collectors, your friends, your dad, whatever. They would not oh, all God, be in the yeah. same audience because they're not – Oh, yeah. It's oh, not yeah. all the same transaction. And I'm not trying to talk about like um, – There are different but, sides of yourself. Yeah, there are you different sh- sides yeah. of yourself that you want to present. But also yeah. even if you wanted – if you were just such a straight shooter that you were always yourself – it's a different transaction. Like mm-hmm. you, you may be wanting to say, um, Hey, buy this like smaller. So I had a consult, I spoke to an art consultant who I'm friendly with and it was a professional interaction. She was like, Oh, what we'll do with some of these pieces is we'll ask people if they want them. And then they pay to make them huge. Meanwhile, my friends who are on Instagram are like, why don't you sell postcards? And I'm like, I have no problem with postcards. It's not, what these works are supposed to be. And that's like very obvious to someone who sees them. I would love to make money off postcards. Like I'm not being, that's not a like throwing shades or whatever, but like not every work is, is bite-sized. Literally it's not bite-sized. And to have someone say that was very affirming because I felt like I was being snotty saying to my friend, I'm like, this is not the same as a painting. Like this is something that, and her paintings are better served larger too, but like, um, I think yeah. different art requires different, different mediums, mediums and yeah. yeah, and the algorithm or the market or whatever doesn't always reward those mediums in a in a in a society where we're pressured to like consume, 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 create, create, create at like rapid speed. You know, the type of art that you might see more of 
it's going to be the type of art that connects better with that pressure to be prolific. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking about like the pressure to be prolific, also the pressure to be authentic, whatever that means I what I was say. in oh, the boy. online space. Yeah. <laughs> I may finish my... Keep going. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think there's, there's so much pressure I, I feel within the writing community and, um, what you hear even from readers, like whenever readers talk about their favorite author, they're like, I want to know everything about them and their process. You know, not all readers, of course, um, necessary caveat, but you hear that a lot. And they talk about how they want to – they wish they could have seen everything they went through to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you don't, though, because there are tons of people who are not published writers who are doing that right now, and you do not care. Like, you care about this content when it can be inspiring for you. And also, oftentimes, like, when we think about the length of time it takes to have an idea and to create it, the experience as a consumer is that like the idea is just there someday and now you get to consume it. Maybe you have to wait like a year or something. And so you you tend to think like this is how long the the author, the artist, the whomever spent on it. But as an example, Dana has a story coming out early next year and they thought about it for nearly a decade before well that's 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 a different one but i thought yeah i thought about it for four years and then wrote it finally yeah yeah four years like that's that that is like a lot of time that you spent with this idea but the narrative online is often like when an author makes his like overnight success and it's like well they've been spending (laughs) right they've been spending sometimes they've been spending 10 10 years publishing sometimes they haven't but oftentimes their actual creative process took way longer and so there's again this tension between like all right you got to create a writer persona and the writer persona should talk about Mm. your your work in progress. And I feel like there tend to be really two big types. Like either I'm so enthusiastic about my work, I am constantly positive or like writing is hell. The only thing that is worse than writing is not writing. And Mm -hmm. I get to share relatable little tidbits online. It's just like, it's not, it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. (laughs) Um, It, the authenticity that we're projecting, I don't actually feel like is it, it can, and cannot be our full authentic selves in part because there are different audiences that we might be trying to appeal to in part because of this flattening and broadening that you're talking to in part because art just takes longer than a social media cycle. So when you're actually promoting it, you've been doing things behind the scenes way longer than that. I think also like, coming back to probably one of the first things you said it forces you to wear all the hats and and to work so hard to be good at wearing all the hats because I almost called out my artist statement when you I I was about to read my artist statement because that someone else wrote that someone else I'm like tangentially friends with wrote for me because I that's not my main mode of expression that's probably my third choice of ways to express myself would be writing. My parents are writers, so people have always assumed based on that and having a great vocabulary that I'm, I'm you know, that's something I want to do or I'm interested in. But And I've even, when I was younger, tried to do it. But point being, you may have something incredible to say and it needs to be posted with an enticing visual. And then the onus is on you to produce the visual mm-hmm. yeah. or to source someone who can produce that visual for you. What I was going to say about it being generative, not generative, is like, 
is not only not generative, but it's so transient. Like there was a time on Instagram where you could sell your art direct to consumer. And my friend has a piece in her house and she was like, yeah, I didn't discover that person, but I was one of the first people to like really patronize them. Mm -hmm. And now not only like are they everywhere, but there's imitators and they don't come up in my feed anymore because it's such a hodgepodge. And it's like you could no longer have that interaction where you've hooked somebody for life because you wouldn't even be able to hook them. There's just so much shit out there that either looks like your shit or is like your shit that it's too hard. I mean, it's not so much that it all looks the same. It's more that like it's not built for those one-to-one transactions. It's built for selling yourself as a product. Yeah. Now it's trying to become a video app. At least Instagram is. I'm ranting about Instagram, but you know, they're trying to be TikTok and it's like that ship has sailed for me. I'm not going to become – I have a point of view, but I'm not going to become so easily packaged. I think that that's real, and I think that that's right, and I think it's important to acknowledge that there's a duality here that we're kind of teasing out, that, Leah, you kind of hinted at earlier too, which is that this, like, total do-it-yourself aspect can be really empowering, right, in terms of – I think we've all heard – it ad infinitum, every artistic medium, uh, you know, okay, you got in the door, they're going to publish your book, they're going to give you a show, they're going to do whatever. The the traditional gatekeepers have decided to allow you to use their channels and present your creativity. Uh, But they're going to write the ad copy. Uh, They're going to decide what your budget is. They are going to decide to put your art on a postcard, even though you're like, actually, I don't think this is right. They're going to say, I know you wanted this to be a, you know, a novel, but we actually want it to be a short story or whatever. There's, there's like other people who are involved in that process and not interested in listening to you, right? Not actually interested in being collaborators, interested in being the business representatives. And there's an opportunity presented by the internet at large, right? Social media as only one part of that to say, okay, well, I'm going to take the reins, right? Self-publish to, uh, yeah, to have some sort of market that's more direct to consumers to say, I am going to talk to somebody whose art I like to design a cover or a graphic or whatever, instead of whatever I get assigned by the traditional uh, machinery. And there's wonderful power in that. Uh, We've certainly talked a lot on this podcast before about when books just get marketed in weird ways. And I end up being like, I didn't like this book. I think I could have if somebody had just been honest with me about what it is. But the people writing the ad copy thought it would sell better to describe it a different way. And now I'm disappointed and confused. So there's, there's a wonderful amount of like taking control there and an ability if you do have a community of uh, other people you can pull together and say, let's let's do this. How can we team up to do a really awesome marketing campaign or to, to have this great branded presence? That does not take away from the fact that, again, even in that best case scenario, that's a tremendous amount of work, right? Which not everybody has the time, capacity, financial resources to do, and not everybody wants to do. There is a funny dynamic there in terms of it can be very empowering, but it also is very lonely. It is very, there isn't a lot of infrastructure. There's not a lot of support. Uh, but yeah, a tremendous thing that I think is is really, is kind of inarguably toxic is the way that all these traditional systems, instead of looking at 
social media and going, hmm, interesting, maybe we would benefit from offering our creatives more freedom and more widespread support have gone, hey, awesome, we can offload even more of this onto uh, creatives because they're no longer totally helpless. Now there's an opportunity, there's some power that they have. So they've just used it as an excuse to be like, cool, we will do even less for you. You made a wonderful point, one that I haven't thought about because I don't have an internet community. Um, but I've known people who have had internet communities and in a, a sci-fi or Afrofuturist writing in particular. I think the names of what they write has evolved. But um, one thing I was thinking about there when you're saying that is not only trying to offload work, but I think about this all the time because it's the scariest villain to me ever in mm-hmm. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Have you guys both seen that? Yes. The computer, you know, when Hal starts to be like, what are you doing? Like the computer starts to be evil I definitely feel like the the tech industry is still run by pretty frightening institutions. And mm-hmm. so they're going to fuck with whatever power our little corners of the internet have if and when they can. Yes. So that's also a frightening thing because it's like – and the person I was mentioning in particular, they have a real depth of knowledge about the tools, which gives them freedom. But most people mm-hmm. don't. I mean, yeah. like yeah. most people don't have – I, I would think high caliber technology. Um, and so maybe there are a few last strongholds, but I definitely feel like it started to turn on us. Like how <laughs> the evil computer. I feel like <laughs> that, that happens. I feel like that's, that's been happening. I mean, I'm, I, I guess I'm the one person who didn't get any sort of like communications or marketing background. <laughs> I was so focused on governance in in college. That was what I was really interested in. And I remember being very fascinated by how civic organizations, how grassroots communities were using social media to organize. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of techno optimism in that um, age. And even now, I mean, you think about things like the Arab Spring, right? That mm-hmm. is often hailed as one of the big successes of social media, completely ignoring all the on-the-ground organizing that happened. And also, people paid attention to it while it was happening, but a lot of people don't know what has happened in those countries yeah. since then. And and don't you think that if, if these grassroots, like the little guys like us, have figured out how to use it to pressure um, governments. Governments have also figured out how to use it to manipulate people, to get their own ends, to suppress people. Same thing with big corporations. Like, I think there's still this presentation of social media as this completely free, empowering thing. And well, if you haven't figured it out, well, it's a little bit of luck, or maybe you just need to put in more effort. And it just completely ignores these other systemic issues, which I think can lead people to feel even more isolated. Mm-hmm. On social media. And again, I think it can be a great tool like for empowerment and personal expression. Like you've said, I think it can be great for a community. Um, but that it feels like that aspect of it is so tainted by all of these other more powerful, corrupt influences who are kind of tinkering with it. Yeah. Um, not not to have my governance side just completely take hey, over look, this conversation. Y'all started talking about tech companies. I'm going to continue this because that's, that's my bread and butter. Uh, yeah, there is this. I uh, had a wonderful colleague uh, who is also an incredibly creative person and has been one of the most supportive people of my creative work that I met in my day job life, uh, Joseph Torres. Um, who frequently says... We love you, Joseph. We love a creative he's, he's supporter. He's the best. Adore him. 
Um, and one thing that he will say a lot in the in the tech space is talking about uh, like technology is a tool. It's just a tool. Yep. And it can be used for liberation and it can be used for oppression. And that obviously is in the like in the social justice, in the movement space. But there's absolutely I think that that possibility translates into any possible use of these technologies, right? Uh, when it comes to art, social media itself as a tool is neutral. It can be used in tremendous ways. It can be used in terrible ways. What is absolutely not neutral is capitalism, right? And the fact that these tools uh, aren't uh, controlled by neutral actors, they're controlled by tech companies that have a profit motivation and the profit motivation is to drive engagement, to drive advertising, all sorts of different things that are not uh, conducive to creating the kind of spaces that, again, frankly, most people want. Most of the, most people on these platforms. And I think there absolutely are cases where, yeah, people, people have found a way to create those things or there's certain tools that speak to them and allow them to build this. Uh, there's also simply the reality of like what counts as a social media service, right? Is Discord? I Discord's I love being on Discord. It's a much more like isolated communities. But is that that's feels very different from like Twitter or Instagram. Uh yeah. Yeah. I have something I'm burning Please. to say. Watch me not be able to find the words now. Right. I want to hear about Discord. Um is just also this is gonna make me sound insane probably, but No. I think that um, the bad actors in tech or in capitalism, we should say, think of artists as, like, almost like the Joker in the royal court. Like, we're Mm -hmm. lazy, we're maybe a little bit sinister because we're lazy, and we're there to entertain. And they want us to entertain, and they want us to get out. And we're absolutely consumable, and we're not necessary. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've discussed with, like, someone with a, you know, traditional capitalist-leaning background that, like, art is somehow superfluous. And so I think having the, you know, the house that we exist in built by people who ultimately think that – is yeah. is really pretty tricky. It's so <laughs> it, it's so funny. I think everyone's <laughs> against artists and that we are the world. So <laughs> just, just letting you know, guys, that's the insane part. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I definitely think there is a there is a a feeling that art is a luxury item. Yet simultaneously, everyone is consuming art all the time. I think there's a art is a luxury a- item, and it should be absolutely free and provided to me on demand. Right. Right, yeah. right. And also I needed to survive and I spent so much time thinking about it and kind of like this it's the whole, you know, it it nourishes your soul thing. But what you're saying about being the Joker, right? There mm-hmm. is that that aspect of people portraying the Joker as like this lazy fool, right? But one of the crucial aspects of being the Joker is that you could be a person in a room amidst all of these nobles who have their own machinations trying to well, you have the attention, I mean, if you're doing your job well, but also you have the opportunity to make fun of the king, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. say to the king, you have to walk a careful line, right? And I think that can also be a trade-off that that artists might make, like, all right, I'm going to choose to flatter the king or I'm going to oh. joke about the king in a way that is, like, acceptable 
um, versus no, I'm going to I'm going to burn this shit down the way I talk about it. And, you know, that might end up with you being like executed metaphorically. Mm. But that is the role of the Joker is a duality. And also in the visual art scene, what if you want to be collected, but you're not making a statement? on either camp that your art is not political it's not anything it's just expression i also think that there is something happening where you can see certain work made about topics that maybe the connection that people have to them isn't that deep but they feel like they have to comment on the zeitgeist because Mm. that's what they need to do to keep up a little different than your point, but I... No, I get that, too. Yeah. I definitely get that, too. And it's, it is very much that same kind of thing in terms of, like, there is such a pressure from social media to... Well, you have to engage. Because you're right. The, the, the way that these systems are built and the people who have built them and the companies that stand to profit from them want content to be engaged with. They do not care what the content is. They do not care what the engagement is, right? It's, it's part of the reason. And it's a tension they face because... All these companies want advertisers. Uh, They also want hate speech because, you know, hate speech is people interact with it a lot one way or another. And it's part of the reason that like, and I think that you see that versions of that for, again, for everything in terms of, well, of course we want artists because people like art and they will click on it and and interact with it and drive engagement. Um, but it's not for the sake of art. It's certainly not for the sake of artists. It is for the sake of content and engagement. And those are separate things, right? And and as we've been talking about, things that have their own pressures, the pressures to be prolific, the pressures to engage and speak to issues when you're like, I actually don't know that I have a fully formed opinion on this issue. I don't know that I I'm the voice that needs to be listened to on this particular topic. But, but this is a thing I'm supposed to engage with. And I think all of this speaks a little bit, gets back to some of the thing that you were talking about before about authenticity. I think another tension that we inevitably face is that social media, we know this, social media thrives on, at the very least, perceived authenticity. You know, you want to interact with people. It's part of the reason that like, it can be such a problem for creating parasocial relationships because people are like, you're my buddy. I read your casual thoughts every day, or I watch you talk to your friends, or I listen to you do a podcast or whatever it is. You feel much closer than you would to like watching an actor in a movie who you know is playing a role. There is much more of an intimacy and a closeness, and that is valued. That drives engagement. But you also, in order to just be safe or to sell things, you need a brand, and you need a brand that has some distance. Right. This is uh, something I've been thinking about a lot for myself personally in terms of I'm online professionally. I would like to be published under my own name. So does that mean I have to be constantly putting information about my real life name, birth date, location, things that can be real security risks. Credit cards, social security right. number. It is, well, but it, there are, there's a lot of, and I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous issue that you'll find where it's like people who are very online, whose information is even more available, uh, and people who feel entitled to them or their work, posing threats and risks to that. And thinking about that in the context too of like uh, my younger brother, Um, is sort of starting to get some traction as like a video game YouTuber and streamer. 
And, you know, he has like a, a name for himself that's not his real name. Uh, and, you know, is part of all these different communities and it's great. And he's been trying to figure out whether or not he should stream with his face or not. And has to think very carefully about like, oh, okay, well, what part of me, how do I want to brand myself so that people know what they're getting in my community or when they come watch my streams or when they come watch my videos. And there's this in inevitable tension between like, of course you have to curate yourself. Of course you, of course you have to present yourself in, in whatever way, not necessarily just for economic reasons. Maybe it's like you're trying to create a community and you want to bring a certain part of yourself or for your safety, for your security. I don't want people to know where I live. I don't want them to know when I write or where I write. Those are all very just like basic good security concerns. But you also then are, are potentially losing authenticity, losing this ability to engage. And the bigger social media gets, the more intense both of those pressures get, right? The more it's like, you have to brand yourself, you have to sell. And also you really have to be authentic because people can spot if it's like, Oh, you're just trying to sell me shit? Cool. I'm not going to engage with your stuff. I think there's also like there are moments where it's not even that you're just trying to sell stuff. You actually are being authentic and people can be like, I don't think you're being authentic. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, I think I'm behaving like myself or a part of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you my whole self. Yeah. Um, that just is an added challenge. Make yourself a product, mm -hmm. but don't make it obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good way to like back into what I'm trying to say, but – if you're someone who's really famous, like you're a Kardashian or something, you're surrounded by bodyguards when you go into a space. And you may feel unsafe. You may feel overwhelmed. You may not wish that upon your worst enemy and you just do it because the alternative is worse. But when you are a public figure online and you gain popularity, mm -hmm. people have unfettered access. If you turn your comments off, you're going to get some backlash for that. If you restrict your DMs so people can't reach out directly, if you respond to some people but not others, you're going to get backlash for that. You basically have to institute a buffer almost immediately. And then someone might be like, who do you think you are for instituting a buffer? This is not authentic. It's really a hard position to be in. And you have to have the type of personality to say, I'm going to feel zero guilt about giving people unfettered access to not have it. Like, either having that buffer or not giving them access. I'm not internet famous, but... My account's private. My professional account is private because I just don't feel comfortable with giving access. And I have a friend who's very public and ostensibly more famous and can handle it better. And sometimes they'll want to post stuff on mine and they're like, oh, can you just go? And I'll go public like for the day. But I can't even really stand to be public that long because I'm like, someone's going to come in and make a comment or mm -hmm. say something to me that makes me feel weird. And I don't really need to spend that time. I don't want to sound yeah. like, but like, I don't really need to spend that time thinking about how to answer someone's question about how did I make this photograph, which like isn't really a productive question for them or for me. I mean, that's like benign, but mm -hmm. you know. I think there's also this other side of like everyone feels entitled to be in the audience of anyone. Like there, I think there's a feeling that if you're online, you should be able to walk into any room and see something yeah. that is for you, mm -hmm. right? So you have this aspect as well of like context collapse mm -hmm. where, all right, I am talking to this community right now that I have built and then someone else walks in and they're like, I don't understand what you're saying. It's like, well, I'm talking to my community now. Um, I can think of uh, – a few authors online who write very unique um, types of stories. I mean, I think, of course, every story is unique. 
all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. God, Leah. Um, <laughs> this is another aspect of being online it's too much is I'm like, I have to caveat literally everything because someone's going to take this way too literally. Yeah. Um, but that that uh, people are constantly asking them to define their work. And they're like, some of them have just been like, no, I'm tired. If you really wanted to understand my work, you would put in a little bit of legwork to get there. I've been here saying these things. And then they're like, well, I feel like I deserve your time. Like, you need to custom make all of your art and your content for me, this person who just waltz into a conversation that you were having with a completely different community. So, like, that's the aspect of being in the public square. I told a friend, like, somewhat recently, if it were... If social media were a room, like a party, I would have walked in and walked out a long time ago. Like, my true personality is like, peace, this is too weird. Well, and that's the thing, right, is that there's a part of social media and a lot of the pressure towards it that says, you're at a party. Be a person at a party. And also that says, no, you're a broadcaster. Do your, you know, perform for us. If somebody said that to you at a party, it would be awful and weird. But this is also the... The problem here is that there's this dual mixture. There are exactly what you're saying. We have different boundaries at a party than we do on stage. And the nature of social media is saying, what if these were the same thing? And again, even if you like doing both of those things, even if you're a person who's like, love parties, love being on stage, love doing the branding and love just chatting with people, awesome. But usually we all still have different boundaries for the ways we want to engage the amount of personal stuff we want to share, the vulnerability we want to bring to the table. And uh, and they don't match up, but you got to pick, right? You have to pick where is my boundary for social media, this thing that is simultaneously trying to be both of these aspects. And that tends to mean, like, it's just uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable regardless. And you do risk, you run the risk of putting yourself in, an, in a situation that makes you feel unsafe or uncomfortable, Or that also is like, well, I'm not being very effective on this platform at whatever I'm trying to do because people want me to have different boundaries. And, uh, and it's, it's just a challenge. It's a challenge where there's, there's so much weird pressure around it. I do believe that there's, you know, for, again, yeah, for some people, uh, and if you are able to be like really clear and thoughtful about your goals and your boundaries, that there's, there's plenty of ways to do this productively and, uh, and certainly like creators that I'm delighted by their presences and grateful to be able to find them on social media. And I think it's also, it's, it's easy to demonize and it's important to remember sometimes that like often the worst things about it are not, it's not that people suck yeah. <laughs> most of the time. It's that a lot of these systems and companies yeah. suck and that sometimes all it takes is just a very small handful of people sucking to just ruin it, to ruin it again when you're saying, how much work does it take? How much work do, is this? And what are you getting out of it? This is the same reason I like occasionally I go on dating apps every now and then. And then I'm like, wait, I wait, I hate this because it causes me so much anxiety. And I know that it might eventually pay off into something awesome. But yikes, it's a lot of work. It's exhausting for me. It triggers a lot of anxieties for what? For usually bad I'm dates. I'm a dating <laughs> app evangelist, so we can do another <laughs> podcast on this. Perfect. He was like, I'm going to teach you how to how to make the no, most no, no, of no. those just, dating apps. I'm just how to, how to learn to love them. Um, so maybe not going out, but going to a high, high going going out or going to a high note. 
what are some things like when you share them yourself on social media, what are some successful social media interactions or experiences that you've had Hmm. recently or otherwise? Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely, there have definitely been points when I've shared like big firsts um, and then there's, there's often been a lot of people coming out of the woodwork who I'm maybe not as in touch with. Um, again, recently, as, as Leah indicated, and, uh, and I'll certainly be posting about more as it gets closer, uh, I have a novelette called The Mask Maker that's going to be coming out in Fusion Fragment in April. Um, and getting to share that and share that this is, it's the, it'll be my debut short story, my first acceptance. Um, they just announced some beautiful cover art for the whole thing, and it's, I'm so excited and sharing that and suddenly getting lots of different people who I haven't talked to in forever being like, yes, this makes me so happy. I'm so excited for you. That's wonderful. Um, that's been really satisfying. Uh, that, that's certainly the most recent one, I think, that's been like really fulfilling and wonderful to feel like, oh, this is great. I get to, uh, I get to share this with people. Um, a lot of other times the positive, I'm really delighted when I can find ways to also, usually what I would like to do on social media is just sit there quietly and listen to everybody. (laughs) It's also kind of what I do at parties, so you know, there you go. (laughs) I don't want to talk. I just want to listen to everybody. Um, but occasionally there's like people that I've interacted with and realized that like, oh, like actually having, you know, someone who like posts a question or whatever, and they're actually looking for an answer. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll respond. And getting to have like a nice, vaguely human interaction with someone that like, again, I probably without this would never, ever have any sort of interaction with. And it's nice to feel like, oh, we got to, we got to be two humans here for a second. Yeah. I don't think I've had like any, in terms of I guess, promoting my art or sharing art. I haven't had any really big successes. I do make videos. Almost no one watches them. There's definitely, there are definitely times where that stings a little. Uh, But I do think one valuable lesson that I've kind of taken from that is around not making, making art, not content is really important because there's no guarantee that the content or the art will be successful. So I have to find ways for that to be fulfilling in and of itself Um, and kind of shifting my mindset there I think has been really important. Although, of course, there is still that fear that we talked about in the back of my mind that you have to be successful at making content to be successful at making art. But I've loved some of the things that I've made. I have loved the things that I have learned artistically, the ways that I have pushed myself in doing that. That I wouldn't trade, I think has been so, so valuable. Um, Just looking over the years and being like, I think when you're kind of just making art and making art, it can be hard to see your own growth. But I have this like visual reminder. I can look at the videos I made two years ago Mm -hmm. and they're so different from what I'm able to do now. And I just know future me is going to be even more different. Having that marker of growth, I think has been really great for me. The way that social media has actually been, I guess, the most beneficial for me or the biggest success I've had in social media is I've actually, I I don't know how, 
but I feel like I've been ridiculously good at building community on social media. I've met so many friends. You're not giving yourself enough credit. I don't know how. <laughs> you, I am. <laughs> I'm a delight yeah. human. Say That's it. how. People like me. No, I, well, I, I just like, I feel so lucky to have found so many people on this mm. like vast ocean of a space. And that I get to, like, now follow and see their creative joy and have discussions with them and, like, get to know. You know, it it was, like, fun to see their social media side. But now I get to know Mm -hmm. them in in so many more ways and in such greater depth. And I think that's been the best part about social media for me. Sorry, just as one one quick thing. Uh, There is, uh, Leah, you and I have both forgotten a joint tremendous social media success that we had with this podcast which is that Natalie Zena Walshots listened to our episode about uh, Hench, her book, and then tweeted about it and was extremely complimentary. And we had a lovely back and forth discussion about it with the oh, yeah, author. That was good. Uh, <laughs> it was a it was a delight. It was an absolute delight. But we yeah, don't like anyway, to give ourselves one other any thing that we were here. it isn't it isn't luck. I don't have the the personality to enter spaces like that and share my enthusiasm and build community like I'm not denigrating myself I have plenty of other talents but that's not something that's a that's a something to be celebrated and I think really cool and some of the coolest artists I've met person I was referencing earlier um who wrote a sci-fi and I'm sure the labels changed but part of their richness and depth came from the community that they had built and that they had kept despite Mm. everything changing around them my answer to my own question would be, um, most recently, probably, I don't want to say I'm not taking it too seriously, because I definitely still check likes, even if it's not something of consequence at all. Oh, yeah. You know, that would be a lie to say. Um, but I've just, in having the private Instagram and remembering that my friends like who I am, I've just been sharing bits of pure expression because I have something to remind me, like, who you are is valuable. That's mm-hmm. enough. Your point of view is full stop what makes your art good. I believe that. I do not believe that, like, I'm, I'm not somebody who believes that. You have to have some skills, but, like, many people can attain skills. It's your point of view that makes yeah. art what it is. And um, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but... Um, I trust me I need to hear this all the time the frequency with which I need to hear these lessons there is no limit but anyway just having created an avenue where I can just be occasionally ridiculous mostly ridiculous and sometimes tender and be reminded by people who know me over time playful is a good word for it over time that that's a valid point of view even if I'm not saying the same thing on Instagram I'm saying this is a might mean nothing to anyone but me, but I was, like, walking towards my parents' house on this path. I've walked, like, a thousand times, and it was, like, really gorgeous, and I took a photograph of a tree, and I had had a thought earlier about getting older and, like, my gray hair, and I kind of put the two things together and posted it, but, like, a lot of times posting feels forced. Like, recently I had a similar tender thought, and I had to find a photograph to go with it. It didn't just gel like that, but as it was happening, I was, like, I'm... I'm going to say this because I unequivocally believe, like, my point of view is is worthwhile, and it's not going to be this manufactured Mm -hmm. thing. It's just going to be not even a stream of conscious, but just, like, a little uh, passing thought that I had. Um, But I think having that 
space to play that is low stakes gives me the feeling in the other space to just say fuck it and go for it and I I do feel pressure I do feel like enough time has gone by since I haven't posted that I'm working or enough time has gone by that I haven't posted a milestone I'll surely make some video saying I'm in my studio tomorrow will I do you know will I produce anything in the studio that remains to be seen but anyway yeah that's my accomplishment Telling everybody I have gray no, hair. I love a picture of a tree. <laughs> no, I mean, I as someone who has the privilege of, of following your private account, I also could just say, like, despite what you say about your, your personality and maybe it's also comfort, like, you're one of the wittiest people, full stop, that I know. Even, even though you say that words aren't your primary mode of expression, like... I love seeing those stories. And I think that part of what en- enables that wit is the and that playfulness is feeling safe to express yourself. And I mm-hmm. think it can be hard to find that um, in a more public setting on social media, even if you – I mean, as an example, we were talking earlier about uh, – how different spaces have different audiences and you might be trying to target different audiences when you say certain things. I recently created a TikTok account where I just wanted to have like a low pressure way where no one knows me. I used a a social media tag that I don't use anywhere else um, just so I could like openly talk about how I was feeling about my art as a way to motivate myself to create more. Like I just felt like I needed to say it Mm -hmm. out loud And then I put the phone down and I would go do the thing. My mom found me there (laughs) because it rats you out if you share phone numbers. Even if you're like, don't share my phone number, it's still the algorithm suggests it. And so now as much as I love, Mm -hmm. I love you, mom. And I think you're great. That space that I had created has now already shifted. So like being able to carve out that space for creative play as an artist, I feel like is just so, so important. And to your point earlier about I think your brother, brother, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. if you start to feel that safety and that confidence, how do you retain it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's the challenge too, right? Like I'm not making anything at the moment where or like achieving any level of fame where I feel that it's starting to break down the, the line between the two. But yeah, once you start to fork more, more over of that to the public eye, how do you keep that feeling of safety and playfulness? Mm. Yeah. Oof, yeah. Oof, oof. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point and a really good... It's something that is also like maybe an inherent pressure a lot of times of these models is that I feel like most healthy use of social media, both as someone both as a creator and as someone following and interested in creators, it doesn't work so well at scale. You know, like the bigger it gets, the harder it is to maintain healthy boundaries, to control the, to feel safe, to be safe. Uh, All of those different pieces become more challenging. There's questions of audiences. I've, I've been, uh, certainly struggling with the fact that my Twitter account initially was exclusively professional. And then now I use it, I barely use it for my day job and uh, really want to use it for creative stuff and rec- and not wanting to make a new account or maybe I should, like all of this kind of stuff that'll, that'll grade at you. And I think there's also, I also was thinking about what you said about like not being a person who like has that skill for, for this kind of communication because I often feel that way too. And 
one of the things that I think is, has I've been pleasantly surprised by and often have to use to try and shout down my anxiety is that uh, a lot of people like a lot of different kinds of people. And this that's true also on social media. But the same way that we talk about, I think it's a common thing in art, right? Where it's like, maybe your goal is to be, you know, enjoyed and liked by as many people as possible. Maybe you're actually chill with just being like, you know, four or five people's like new favorite artist or creator or works or whatever. Both of those are valid perspectives, but social media very much drives us towards the first mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Right? I feel like it makes you say, you can't be the bookstore that someone stumbled upon. It like automatically slaps the label on you, I'm for everyone. And that's why I won't go public because yes. I'm like, I'm not for everyone. I don't want to feel like garbage if I can't speak to a ubiquitous point of view or comment mm-hmm. on world events. Like I, that's not productive yeah. for for me to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there is, with that comes this responsibility, I think. Or at the very least, a perceived responsibility. And I do think it's it's interesting because most of the, I feel like most of the creatives that I really admire, whether they're like institutionally or, or uh, economically successful or not, even like smaller creatives, most of the time, the best, the most fun I have is because they post where they're like, hey, here's my Discord server, or here's my email list server, here's my little pocket that I've made that is like a, a social interactive space, but it's a social interactive space for people who want to be part of it, not the broader, everyone, ubiquitous point of view that you're talking about. But a lot of times, <laughs> You can only build that if you get enough people to pay attention to you in the, you know, big ubiquitous digital space to say, hey, if you like what I'm doing, I'm over here. And here's where we're really going to yeah. talk. The only reason I have that is because yeah. of school. Like I went, ran, wrote into school with an account and then I combined the two accounts and I got the two communities together. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, no, you, it's so hard to grab yeah. like the people who are your people and kind of mm-hmm. drift away from the rest. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to be gatekeepy. I'm just simply trying to say, like, no, no one person should be out there claiming to be the voice of a gender. It, it, just, it puts that label yes. on all of us, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting and keeping attention, the pressure. I think you put it so well to to express some sort of mythical, ubiquitous viewpoint as if such mm-hmm. a thing could ever exist. Um, it just ends up, I think, tearing you into pieces. And that's why yeah. I often see authors, um, which is the space I'm speaking to because that's where I'm paying attention, as they get big enough, they're like, this is an updates-only account now, and I'm going into my own little space where I have more power to curate it, and also everyone who is there is opting in. But when we're in an attention economy – like, you know, everyone's – my attention is split like five million ways to Sunday. There are so many different mm-hmm. things that you need to check and go look at. And there are people you want to support who are in all these different platforms. And then all of the people on those platforms are simultaneously like, I'm struggling to make this work oftentimes. Or, you know, I'm so behind. I'm sorry. Or I'm posting these things multiple times. And there's a part of me that like is like, gee, if you're struggling with this and you're – sometimes a New York Times bestselling author or, you know, you are the the perceived pinnacle of success. What does that, what does that say for the rest of us? Yeah. 
Yeah. No, and it's it's a weird thing because I think like there's a lot of this that is scary and hard because it is already scary and hard just to like be a creative in these spaces saying, should I have an account here? Should it be private? Should it be public? And also then there's still like some of the things we're talking about are the things that like we are all experiencing right now. And some of them are just the things we're scared of because even as we look down and say, okay, what if, what if this works? You know, what if this is successful and, and a lot of people pay attention to me? I will actually, that comes with a lot of shit too, that I know from listening to creatives who are like, cool, you have to deal with all of these other problems or risks or threats to your safety, your mental health, whatever the situation is, you're still pressured to create content for social media, even though now I, you have lots of deadlines for your, you know, publishing career as well. Um, all sorts of different things. And it's, it's a weird, I think that's another part of it and that, that can be challenging is it's already hard work. It's already hard work that is not necessarily very fulfilling at the moment when you're just starting out. And then when you look down the line and you say, what if this goes as well as it possibly could, that also doesn't always look super fulfilling. There's a lot of other things that I don't know that I want to be big on social media. I mean, it, it, it would help to, you know, share the stuff that I want to share, but it comes with a lot of other weight to it. I don't know. I feel like there was, I kind of ran out of point. I'm just a little like, hmm, about it. <laughs> just a little bit of it. I mean, to, to loop back to the very start of this podcast, like, unfortunately, we cannot predict the future. Unfortunately, there is no right answer. We're mm. all just kind of out here trying to figure out the right answer for us. Um, and in feeling a lot of pressure to identify that right answer and also knowing yeah. that there could be, you know, consequences, seeing the the successful creative say, like, here are some really major consequences to this that are, it's like scary. And then there's a part of me that's like, do I even really want to find the answer? Like, yeah, what does that mean for me? So then you have to deal with that whole tension. It's just, there are a lot of layers there, but um, I feel like we could talk about this for, uh, you know, an another day at least. <laughs> um, but I know that we're, we're kind of at the end of time. I think because one big takeaway from this this episode, for me, if I'm taking the positive side of things, is that it can be beneficial to to carve out your community again, mm -hmm. to look for ways to be playful and weird. Um, and I really hope that all of the artists and creatives out there who are listening, that you're able to find that safe space to express yourself um, and that it's not all just constant pressure to make yourself a product. The artist's blessing. <laughs> yeah, I do think, going back to what I was saying about, like, there's something in visual art that happens where, like, you don't, you maybe start out selling postcards and then you get super famous for your art. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Van Gogh or something. He didn't start out selling postcards, but, you know, what, destitute, like, mm -hmm. type thing. And then, I think so. I could be, I don't really know his life that well. But you start out, we'll just not use him. You start out as a destitute <laughs> artist. You get big. And then you get so big that your art goes back to being postcard size and sold in shops. And that's not necessarily its most beautiful application, but it's its most it's a scalable. scalable. Yeah. And I think um, when you guys are famous writers, I don't want to say your social media will build itself. You'll probably hire someone to help you or like, you know, pay a student, you know, have someone 
taking off some of the time, like, Mm -hmm. hey, post about this milestone, and then you drop in every now with your point of view. But I think you can establish yourself outside of it and then have social media there to bolster it. I do not think that – I do not believe, and maybe I'm naive and don't understand the writing world, but I do not believe it has to happen on social media because I think we're Mm -hmm. – maybe the postcard thing wasn't the greatest analogy, but I think we're going – back around to a place where people are not looking to social media for their first point of entry. At least in the visual arts, they can't. It's just another way to tout your skills or awards, but people are not going to find you there. Someone who's never found someone before is not going to find you there. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense, and it sort of connects to the thing that, that I wanted to, to touch on as a final thought, which is that um, I... I feel like something, I don't know if this works, you know, but an assumption I want to test and an an idea that I want to explore more, I think, for social media is I have often underestimated uh, how people will interact with me generally. Uh, I've sort of assumed that I need to do a lot more work for people to notice uh, what I'm doing and, and sort of always assumed that um, because I'm not good at doing that kind of stuff that no one will notice and no one will remember me and no one will pay attention. Uh, and I have been consistently surprised <laughs> in terms of I've often been wrong about that. I've often thought, oh, I'm, I'm not good at networking. I'm not good at connecting with people. Um, and then discovered, oh, but I mean, you know, not, not enough to create like a, a huge trove of connections and friends, but certainly plenty for me. Uh, plenty to realize like I do have a community here in you know my day job in my social life in my wherever and uh, and I don't know for sure if that translates to social media but trying to I think hold that faith and say what if I just tried to interact with these platforms as much as possible in just the way I want to and had faith that that would be right. You know, if I want to be private and and go private, or if I want to not be on this account, it's okay. Because I think a lot of, one thing I feel pretty certain of is that forcing yourself to do those kinds of things costs a lot. And I don't know that it always pays dividends. And, And a lot of times it's not what people are looking for in the end either. So maybe it's, if I can be authentic here, I will show up and be authentic here. And if I can't, I will forgive myself immediately and say that it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's this, uh, we might feel pressure to to grow in that way, but like that pressure I think is inhibiting our the growth that is driving us to engage in that social media anyway. If, um, I don't know if that's entirely clear, but um, I think there's, it's much, it can be healthier for, us, especially if we're in a place where we're just kind of starting our creative journey, um, to not think of social media as the thing that we we must do, to not think of having to make ourselves a product, but to you know hop in when we want to and hop out when we're when we're done. Mm-hmm. Have a little bit of faith in the the art that we're creating, and know if even if it doesn't get a smash hit success when you're creating it, know that there is something that is intrinsically driving you to create that art and that in and of itself is valuable. 
And that will resonate with people. It might not happen immediately. It might not happen through the modalities that we're told are the most quote-unquote valuable. Um, But it does matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that... uh... I think that's a beautiful button. I think on that note, um, thank you so much for joining us today as we stumble through our own creative journey and try to figure out how our creativity interacts with the world and how we can stay kind of healthy and happy as we're making things. Um, If this resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at WorkTitlePod and... uh, Other than that, I know, Eve, we just talked about having private art accounts, but if people did want to find your art, is there anything that you want to share or you can (laughs) say no? Sure. My art Instagram is Eve underscore uh, white at whatever Instagram. (laughs) That's that's the handle. That's the word. (laughs) Uh, Did that sound enticing? Um, So that's where you can find me. um, And yeah, you'll either be into it or you'll unfollow me in a week. (laughs) That's okay. Either one is okay. (laughs) We're all making those choices. The point is that we'll be there. um, And that's where you can find us. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.